0: Welcome, welcome. This is Rachel Amade, and you're listening to the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. This is a podcast where we dig into scripture a little more deeply than we often get to on Sunday mornings, or if you attend church on the Sabbath on Saturdays. uh, Yeah, we get to talk about some different things that oftentimes we don't get to hear from the pulpit, hopefully ask some better questions, And really get right down to what is the Bible actually telling us about how to live today, how to be obedient to the Lord, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I have been in a little mini series here going over numbers, numbers one through seven, actual numerical numbers, not the book, not the biblical book numbers. And we've been talking about chiastic structure as well as the menorah, because the menorah is really a picture in scripture that we get from the very beginning, from Genesis. We get a seven-day week in which each day God creates something different for six days and rests on the seventh and gives us the structure of all of time. In the first seven days of creation, as well as giving us insight into the meaning of these numbers and how we can better understand them when they come up later in scripture. I think this is so cool. You guys, it's very nerdy, but it makes a lot of sense given what I like to think about when I read scripture. I like to think about how deeply God has thought through his ways, his patterns, and his creation. So we're going to be doing number five, numbers five and six today. I'm finding that this is more and more important, understanding God's symbols, his structure, the way he does things, because the world is just getting more and more complex and it's being reigned, I mean, just ruled by chaos. I honestly cannot believe what I have seen take place in just the last couple of years. Life was so different a few years ago. And I feel like most people think that. Most people are seeing we're declining so quickly. Not only economically, what we are seeing happen with economics and the globalists, but we're declining in our values. It seems to be that more and more the media is pushing values that are antithetical to scripture. And A lot of people are just ignoring them or continuing on as if we're living in the same world we were living in a few years ago, but we're not. We are living in a time where I believe the powers that be have seen too many people bow the knee to what the state wanted. And so I honestly think that they believe this is their opportunity to crush the values of God, to crush the church. And it is time for us to be a light and to understand God's things even better so that we can be prepared and we can have a good answer for every question as the Bible tells us to. I just wanna share with y'all that, so I had decided I was going to go to a monetized system for some podcasts moving forward, and I'm still gonna do this. The kids are finally back in school. I do homeschool one of my kids, but my other is in school. And so I feel like life has gotten more structured once again, and hopefully I'm gonna have the time to do additional podcasts. I've really been thinking hard about what those additional podcasts that would be paid would be. I want to continue to provide all of the, as much of the biblical content for free as possible, because I just think this should be available to anyone. But I am looking for more ways to provide for the ministry that I am starting to do and to provide more opportunity to give you guys real information that's hopefully helpful to the believer. I don't know if a lot of you know this, but I have a background actually in journalism and political science. That's what my degree is in from CSU. And so I am still very passionate about what's happening politically. You might have picked that up if you've listened to my podcast at all. And I am very, very passionate about um, some of the issues that we've seen take place. I'm a researcher by nature, so it made a lot of sense for me to be interested in journalism. When I went and interned in that field, I got a little less interested in what was happening in the field. I saw that it, the idea of objective journalism was going out the window and that we were heading in a direction of propaganda. And I wasn't sure I'd be able to keep a job in that sort of an industry, so I, I didn't pursue it too hardcore. But I've definitely kept to those journalistic instincts where I have a great nose for a real story. I know how to source. I know how when something is factual and backed up by real information and when something isn't. And I have tended to, because of those skills, been able to choose news sources that have been factually accurate for years and years now and so I feel like I have great news sources. I read great people. I listen to the right podcasts and I want to share all of that. Not only the people that I listen to but the information in hopefully a codified form. So I do think that will be one of my extra podcast series that will be monetized coming up here pretty soon. I'd also like to study... um, science, you know, I have come across more and more great teachers in the scientific realm that are proving not only what scripture teaches about creation and about the world, but are also able to do that using what we're discovering in the scientific realm. I think this is super helpful for those of you who constantly find yourself answering atheists. Now I started to do some research on something that, um, I believe is Christopher Hutchins put together, I want to say that, but it was a group who had basically created a um, a giant list of what they call biblical inconsistencies, and I really wanted to dig in and answer all of those. You guys, I started digging into what they considered biblical inconsistencies, and I was unbelievably disappointed with their lack of research. I didn't even think it was worth continuing. I answered about five or six of them. Most of them were related to this guy is called this thing in this one location and called something else in another, those sorts of claims. And this is really easy to do with scripture because, especially in the Old Testament, Hebrew words for father and mother and grandfather and grandmother are the same. And so in different parts of scripture, you have different parts of the lineage being listed. They were calling that inconsistencies. And I thought, this is a waste of my time and yours. So I am actually going to be doing more of, hey, just what is science discovering right now? How does that apply to the Bible? Um, I'm definitely considering that as another part of my paid subscription series. So be thinking about if you'd wanna support me and support what I'm trying to do with the ministry um, of just sharing these truths going forward. I am hoping also to get involved with some charitable groups and to be able to um, eventually hopefully be able to provide not just um, money to the places that I already give, but then a charity that we will be able to support. Anyways, these are my big dreams, my big hopes for the future. Right now today, we are going back to our series on numbers one through seven, the menorah, the picture that God gives us throughout scripture, and this incredible seven that we have been studying. So right now we are on number five, okay? And um, just as a quick recap, the menorah is a seven-candled, basically candelabra. It's kind of shaped like a tree. It is given, uh, like I said, in the story of creation. You have seven days of creation. God tells Moses to make a menorah for the tabernacle. We see in Revelation, Christ is in the midst of a menorah where it says, I saw the lamb standing in the midst of the 7 you know, candlesticks that's the menorah, and through scripture, you're going to see seven after seven after seven after seven after seven, and you're going to wonder what is the deal with this seven? It keeps coming up. Well, this is one of God's signs and symbols, and these numbers have meanings that you can find th- from Genesis to Revelation, and so we're basically on the fifth candlestick. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last two podcasts where I go over the numbers one and two, where I talk about how important the middle of the candlesticks is, that fourth middle one, how it's the center of all and it's the light that lights all the other lights. We're on the number right after that fourth, the fifth number. Now in scripture, the number five relates to both grace and law. And I think this makes a lot of sense because grace and law go hand in hand. In fact, we would not really understand the concepts of grace or mercy if we didn't have the law. The law is necessary for us to understand what grace is. Being given something you don't deserve, well, how do you know you don't deserve it? You know it based on your inability to be a perfect law keeper. So God giving us his son giving us grace. We know this because we understand the law and that means the law and grace go hand in hand. They are not in opposition to one another. They are friends. They have a relationship. And so both of them are represented in the number five in scripture. Now on the fifth day of creation, God created the birds and the fish. He created these creatures that could replicate very quickly in the sky and in the waters. Now, something interesting about the color blue, and you'll see this um, in uh, the the Israeli flag and in their color blue, the idea of blue is that those are God's laws. Blue represents the law of God. And I think it is no coincidence that the sky is blue. So when you look up to the sky, you can be reminded of God's law and that waters often appear blue. So when you look in the waters, you will also see God's law there. And so it's no wonder that if the number five represents both grace and law, that we have birds and fish, these two creatures that you look up to the sky and you see them in the blue, you look into the water and you see them in the blue, they are created in the blue. Okay, so we have a reminder of the law and the creatures that are created in these things. I think it's always good to remind people that the only creatures that we see, material creatures on the earth, that have choice in whether or not to follow God's laws or not, are human beings. Okay, everything else has to follow the law that God put into it. So seeds follow God's law in that the DNA of a seed becomes exactly what its DNA is. It does not depart from it. So if you put an apple seed in the ground, you will get an apple tree. The same is true for the fish and the birds, right? The same is true for animals. They abide by the laws that God put into their nature. And this is why we see animals, both male and female, the reproductive process works the same way, depending on the type of animal uh, that you are looking at. Um, And they do not depart from it. It is why God says God made them basically to recreate, to procreate after their own kind. They're not going to ever turn into anything else. It is a great disservice to ever teach that the Bible would agree with macro evolution. The Bible has said from the very beginning that things recreate after their own kind, they do not become. Other creatures, and by becoming other creatures, I mean a macro evolution that a bird would become a person, or you know something along those lines. That a monkey would become a human being—that would be what I would consider macro evolution. Now, there's plenty of micro evolution in in what we can observe in creation, but there is not something turning into something else. The DNA that you have is the DNA that you have is the DNA that you have, and so um creation tells that story and i think we consistently still observe this in creation guys it it is just so sad that science is decades behind in its actual discovery process and communication process okay there is no evidence for macroevolution none zero confirmed evidence. It does not exist. Every time there has been evidence brought forward, it has been debunked, but those debunkings have not been promoted widely enough for people to know it, and we still teach macroevolution in schools, despite the fact that it is just as faith-based, if not more so, as a creation approach to scripture. I am on a huge tangent right now, but I have to just repeat this. God creates seeds and DNA, with the ability to procreate and recreate after its own kind, that is what the Bible says. And that is what we observe in creation. And we do not observe anything else. At this moment, there is no other evidence. So while I have no problem with really old earth and a really old universe, given how the Bible is laid out, um, the idea that macroevolution exists is not in scripture, nor do I see it in science when when I've gone out and looked for it. But again, birds and fish created in the skies and in the waters, reminding us of God's laws, his principles regarding creation. Now, the fifth of the Ten Commandments, it's very interesting. It's honor your parents. Now, I honestly believe honoring your parents still is of the first five commandments that have to do with loving God. And here's why. God chooses your parents. You don't have a choice in that matter. And so even if your parents are horrible, God doesn't say you have to love them, nor does he say you actually have to obey them um, all the time, especially if they're asking you to do something antithetical to God's word. But you do need to honor them. And this means you show them deference and respect. You don't dishonor them in public. You care for them and you never bring them down. You're always lifting them up. The same can be said for how we should observe Christ God. There should be, it says, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think honor and fear in this regard have a relationship in that you should have respect for your parents. You should fear them a little bit. You should fear the authority they have over you. And we should fear the Lord. And so honoring your parents and honoring the Lord are hand in hand. You just can't get around the fact that you didn't get to choose your parents. God did this. This is God's choice in your life. And so you need to honor the choice that God made. Now, I know parents can be awful and they can make their own mistakes. And this isn't what God desires. God desires for great parenting to be taking place so that people can understand the greatness and goodness of God. And the world isn't perfect. However, With every imperfect person and human that you have to deal with, there's always on the other side an opportunity for growth and learning. And if we take that approach, even in the hardest of circumstances, you see people rise up and do amazing things, even with horrible parents. And I know some of these people. I know people who have horrific stories of childhood who still have honored their parents and their lives reflect that. So we're supposed to really love our parents. That doesn't mean you have to lie about them. That doesn't mean you have to pretend like your life was anything other than it was. But when you go out into the world, you wanna show deference and respect for those people that God chose to be your parents. Again, this is showing honor to the laws of God. Again, we are in this grace and law framework still. We've got the birds and the fish, we've got God's laws, we've got honoring your parents, we have God's laws. Okay, and then you're, you're going to get this now. So the seven spirits of the Lord that are listed in Isaiah, the seven spirits of God, the fifth one is the fear of the Lord. Okay, so we've been talking about honor and law and, all, and here we are with the fifth spirit being fearing the Lord. Again, we're back in this fear and honor mode. These two things go hand in hand. By the way, the Bible has a great promise if you honor your parents. It says, you'll live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I don't know exactly what that means, but it means that there is going to be an extra gift that you're given when you honor your parents. Here we are in that grace. You may not even deserve this extra gift, but there's a gift that comes along with obeying this particular command. Again, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is, beginning, is the beginning of wisdom. When you decide to honor the Lord and to fear the Lord, his grace flows out upon your life. His grace, the grace of the salvation of his son, you get to receive that. And it all starts with the fear of the Lord. And understanding that this God abides by his laws and that in the end he will have to do justice and you want to be in his law not outside of it you want to be in christ not outside of christ when that occurs because if you're in christ you receive grace and if you are outside you are going to receive the wrath of the law of god and so you know um i thought that Uh, A pastor I know recently had a great example of this. He said, we love electricity, right? Electricity is so useful, and we have been able to harness it to do all sorts of incredible good. But there are some laws about electricity that we have to fear and honor. You can't just go up to a giant wire carrying huge volts of electricity and touch it. If you do that, you're going to get burned. Okay, that is that is operating outside of the principles we understand about electricity and the laws we understand about it. And when you do that, this is why electricians are a valuable job, right? Because we want somebody that's educated and understands the laws of electricity. We don't want to always do it because we could find ourselves in real danger. This is the same. When you approach God wanting to just do whatever you want, you might get burned, but if you abide by his law and you are you are in alignment with his law, then you can harness the goodness of God in your life, right? You get that blessing of obedience. This is the same thing. It doesn't mean electricity is bad. Just because electricity can really hurt some people doesn't mean it's bad. We can see it's an amazing good, but its principles are, are immovable, immutable. The same is true for God and his law. And finally, the fifth of the feast days, by the way, I'm doing this at a women's retreat coming up, and this is going to be incorporated into um, a series of talks that I'm going to start doing more. Uh, There is so much more to these. So I'm giving you guys like the overview. I'm really excited to start public speaking more often and be able to dig into these things a little bit more. The fifth of the feast days, there are seven feast days is the Feast of Trumpets. And this is um, a fall feast, okay? So we have the the first of the four, uh, or of the seven feast days, the first four are um, spring, okay? And we talked about last time with the fourth one being the middle one. The fourth one is the point of all of it. The fourth is the Feast of Weeks, and it's basically the unification of God's law to his people, the reunification of God to his people. And so God gave the law at Mount Sinai on that day, and, and the Holy Spirit came down in Acts on the day of Pentecost on that day in the New Testament. Reunification, okay? So we have now, we're in the spring, or the fall feast days. So the first four are spring, the second are fall and the first of the fall feast days is the Feast of Trumpets. And this is the future day where the trump will sound in the heavens and Christ is going to return. This is a day that will be awe-inspiring and likely terrifying for many. Because Christ returns as a king. You, you know, there is... There is every reason to fear and honor this king. Christ gets to be the judge. You know, sometimes we forget because we want him to be kind of squishy God, right? Squishy, nice guy. No, no, no. He's the judge in the end. He's the one that gets to judge all the nations. We need to have fear and we need to have honor for the king that is returning with his laws and his principles to judge and to reign and rule on the earth. And so it makes a lot of sense that the fifth feast day would be the Feast of Trumpets, the return of Christ, and this is a terrifying moment, truly, I think, for future generations who are not in alignment with the Lord. All right, the number six. Six. We all we I think most Christians know this. Six is the number of man. We we read this in Scripture, and also we have six 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 being the number of the beast, which is a mysterious number. So it's both the number of man and beast. And so, is it any wonder that on the sixth day of creation, God creates man and land animals, man and beast? Okay. So these the the man and beast idea go together, and and here's why. We know that the son of perdition is going to be some sort of hybrid of Satan and man, right? In the future, we know that the Antichrist will be this hybrid beast man. And so the number 666 makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of science actually in this number that I'm not going to get into right now, but there's scientific evidence of the weight of certain things in our bodies being around six and why, you know, we the, this number would be the number of man, but Mankind has this incredible, like as previously mentioned, incredible position in creation, in that we are the ones that have the choice. We can choose to follow God, or we can choose to not. And I think that choice is basically the difference between um, I can't remember her name, but I think her name's Harisa or Halisa. Um, she's a wonderful Torah teacher. She talks about the fact that the the spirit there's a particular spirit that's both in man and beast that the bible talks about it's called the nefesh and this is kind of the instinctual part of us this is that that the you know dogs and animals you know cats and they have an in- instinct they have something bred into them that is how they operate and so so does mankind we have a spirit that can be just purely instinctual And when we choose to live by that untamed spirit, we are like a beast. We become less divine, right? We choose a beastly existence when we don't discipline our spirits, when we don't discipline ourselves. So we have the choice. We can either be the mankind that is made in the image of God, or we can be beastly. And so these, we, we were made on the same day as beasts. It makes a lot of sense again, and representing the number six. Uh, The sixth command in the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder. I think we see one of the first beastly activities in the very first two children that Adam and Eve have, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel. I'm not sure that you can classify what Cain did as murder, um, but God is obviously angry with Cain and says the blood of Abel is crying out from the ground. You know, God hates death. And when blood is spilled in large ways across locations, the Bible talks about the land itself even being defiled. That, you know, a bloodthirsty mindset is something that God hates. But of course, this is what Satan is after. Blood, he, Satan has a bloodthirsty mindset. It's why. Satan is so pro the killing of human life and the ending of human life. And so mur- it makes a lot of sense. Murder is the worst thing you can do to another human being. To end an- another's innocent life is so wicked. And of course it would align with six and 666. Six, six. We have a lot of uh, intimations of death here. You know, mankind was now cursed to die after what happened with Adam, right? And so death enters the picture. And so the sixth command, thou shalt not murder, definitely goes along with the number six. We have the sixth of the spirits of God. There are seven spirits listed in Isaiah. The sixth is the spirit of might. Might goes along with counsel. And so I think there are two versions of might. You can have might that is righteous and godly and that God gives and is directed by good counsel, or you can have might that is wicked and it's just power for power's sake and it is directed by poor counsel. Now, the spirits of the Lord would be good counsel and strength, right? Strength of of character and strength, but... Um, You know, mankind is supposed to have a godly character, a strength of godly character. And mankind was also made to be the high priest, the king over the earth. We were deeded the planet before Adam gave it away. We were supposed to have a position of might over the rest of creation, and we do, but Honestly, sometimes it's led by very, very poor counsel. And the usurper, Satan, took what was given to us until Christ returned and restored, right? And became the second Adam. And so, again, might makes a lot of sense if you're looking at the sixth of things. Finally, quickly for you all, the sixth of the seventh feast days is the Day of Atonement. And this is a day in the future where the Lord will judge all the nations. It is um, a day where the high priest would sprinkle blood over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies for the nation on behalf of the nation. So Christ came to atone for us, right? But someday for those who don't accept the Lord, Christ will come and will judge them based on whether or not they have accepted that atoning sacrifice. And that atonement all has to do with mankind and our sin or our salvation. And so we have six aligning with man, mankind in greatness or in not greatness. Now I have to mention that in the seven churches of Revelation, the sixth church, I believe is the Church of Philadelphia, And this is the church that everyone wants to be. This is the one where they've kept the commands of the Lord and they've held fast and they're lauded for this. And so we also see that the sixth of the seven churches actually maybe is the version of mankind that God desires to see, that he desires to see us um, run the race well and hang on even through challenge and difficulty. And so again, you have this mankind versus beast, right? You have this man can be great and can be divine and man can be beastly and we have a choice and all of that can be found in the concept of the number sixth and the sixth of the things that we've been discussing. So you might find some of these patterns every time you see these numbers in scripture and I will, I will bet you you will because whenever I've seen them, I've seen these patterns so do not be surprised as you start picking up and understanding what these numbers mean. If you don't find at least this this depth that you know, we've got about five different areas we've been discussing regarding these numbers, at least five layers of meaning when you see these numbers and these concepts come up. and there's a lot more. So next week, we will go over the number seven. We are at the final, Um, the the Sabbath day, why the Sabbath is so important and why we do not get to choose which day of the week is the Sabbath day. The Bible is very clear about this. This is God's timing, not ours. He is building something in his timing. And we all, listen, if we got to choose which day was the Sabbath day, could you imagine we would each choose a different day? How could you ever know God's timing? We would all choose whatever we wanted to, and we would never learn that God is building something in a time dimension and that he has a pattern he is working within, and that will tell us how he's going to do things in the end. And so we're really missing out if we don't acknowledge that the seventh day of the week is the Lord's Sabbath day. That is the day he said, do not work. That is the day he said, take a rest. But anyways, I digress because we're going to go over that next week. I love you all. I'm praying for you. If you have any specific prayers, please send it to me. I will put them on my prayer list. If you have any specific needs, please send them to me. I have so many churches and so many um, people in, in the kingdom of God that I work with that may be able to just give you some great advice or some great assistance or some great help. If you have any questions about any of my teachings or you would like me to cover a question that you have, send that my way as well. I would love to do some research alongside you. Let's discover all of this incredible scripture that could have only been written by God together. I'll talk to you next week.